So after first service, this young kid named Johnny Moore came up to me. If you don't know Johnny, you need to know Johnny. And he said to me, and I quote, Pastor, do you love me? I said, I felt like Jesus and Peter, you know. <laughs> I felt like Peter, you know. Johnny, why would you ask me that question? <laughs> you know that I love you. And he said, then why would you preach that? I said, what are you talking about? He goes, you're preaching about story chip right before Christmas. <laughs> he said, I'm supposed to get gifts and you'll be telling my father to save money. What are you doing? <laughs> but I want to talk to you for the next few weeks about the topic of stewardship. And if you know me, you know that this is something that's near and dear to my heart as a, a, a minister of the gospel. I don't just want to teach you and preach to you about how to pray and seek the Lord and not do the things of this world, right? We have to, as a church, take what I would call a holistic approach to the gospel and from, from every aspect of our life, help people govern their life. Does that make sense, right? We, I, what's the, what good is it if you know how to pray your way out of some things, but you don't know how to storage your way out of some things? And so over the next few weeks, I want to talk to you about stewardship because I think that maybe our finances get a bad rap in church or many churches don't talk about it enough, right? And I want to look at biblical principles of stewardship. We're going to start real base level this week, right? And I want to just a disclaimer here, okay? I don't believe, this is a great place for you to say amen, I'm just letting you know. I don't believe that it's God's will that Christians are broke. Amen. That was Yoshi Plaza. <laughs> I'm going to say it again. I don't believe it's God's will for you to be broke. It's definitely not God's will for you to be living check to check. It's not God's will for you to have just enough. Because just enough often means I can't make an impact in the kingdom. Right? And so in this side of the world, I believe that God wants to give us more so that we can give more. And if you think I'm just talking about church, I'm talking about to other people as well. To be a blessing to others. I believe that God would desire for the kingdom, sons and daughters, to have resources. Your dad is a king. What I also recognize simultaneously, this other thing at work, is that many of us don't know how to handle money. And so we think that that lack of being able to handle money is God saying you shouldn't have it. And that's not what it is. We have to have the right principles. Now, the issue for us is threefold. And I want to just break this down for you. Many of us, and this might not be you, but many of you come from backgrounds of generational financial mismanagement. Right? We always just barely had enough. We kind of made by. Or mom and dad never told you how tight things really got. And they didn't have money until you left. And even then, things are just where they need it to be, but not extra. Do I have a witness? Because of that first issue, the second issue is that we have no intentional teaching from our parents or families or dads or moms about finances because they can't teach us what they don't know. And there's many few, in our families, few of us have many success stories of people in our family. Many of us might have that one or two people, or you might be the one or two people in your family who have made it out of poverty. I want to challenge you that God's will for every single one of us is to not live in poverty, but to live in a place of overflow. Are you with me? The third part of it is that as Christ followers, we don't think the Bible has anything to say about our resources. 
And we couldn't be further from the truth. I think the scripture has so much to say. Now, I want to pause and for a moment, I want to digress for 30 seconds to let you know something. That this teaching over the next three weeks presupposes something. That you've already had the prerequisite in your life of a generous lifestyle. I've talked about it so many times. You cannot be financially sound in your life if God is not first in your resources. You have to live a life where God is first. For, for many of you, that's a lifestyle of tithing. For many of you, it's tithing and offering. For many of you, it's starting somewhere to put God first in your resources. And this is something my mother taught me when I was a kid. I've told you this before. She would give me a dollar and ask me for a dime back. She would give me $10. I'll never forget. I was at Caldor's. She gave me $10, Nolly. You didn't even know what Caldor's is. It's okay. Think of Kmart, but worse. But it wasn't as bad as Bradley's, though. You don't know about Bradley's? Think of Walmart, but worse. Caldor's was a low-grade budget uh, target, you know? It's a low-budget target. Bradley's was a very low-budget Walmart. Right? And so I was in the parking lot of, of Caldor's, and my mom gave me $10. You would have thought she gave me a million. I was rich. Hood rich, to be exact. And I said to myself, man, I'm going to go in there and buy anything I want. And she looked at me and said, now make sure you give me a dollar back. I said, what? And she began to teach me at a young age that a tenth always goes back to God. And for the rest of my life, I have governed my life since my first job until now that God gets the first portion of everything that comes into my life. And I want to tell you something. If you won't even do that base level stuff of putting God first in that area, the rest of the principles of the Bible of stewardship will not help you. Because your 90, right, giving God his 10, that 90 will stretch further than the 100% if you keep it for yourself. I promise you. This is something that I have exercised in my life for over 20 years of my work history. And God has always provided my every single need. When I became a pastor, I told the Lord, I'm not going to go through the things that my family went through. Here's my deal with you. The moment my kids lack, or my wife, I didn't even have a kids or wife. But I knew I was going to have more than one kid, praise the Lord. And I knew I was going to have a beautiful wife. I said, Lord, I said, Lord, the moment they don't have what they need, I'm done. I'm done. Because I remember growing up in some severe situations. And maybe you remember that kind of stuff, or maybe you don't. But every single one of us, at some point, you either have faced it or you might face a financial crisis in your life. And I want to tell you that God's plan for this, the first step is for you to live a generous life, which sounds counterintuitive. How can I get more by giving more? The Bible says this, he who waters others waters himself. That he who gives to others, he actually is giving to himself without even knowing it. But the second big thing is that all throughout the Bible, from the beginning to the end, is this principle and this theme of stewardship. Now, here's what stewardship means. I'm going to give you a definition, a biblical definition. It's the responsibility to manage all the resources of life that you have for the glory of God. And that you acknowledge that God is the owner and provider of what you have. A steward is someone who is put in charge of the resources of somebody else. In this case, what I'm telling you is that what you have has been given to you by God and that what you've been given, you should glorify God with it. And the whole church says amen. And you may say to yourself, well, Pastor Lewis, where do you get that kind of thought process from? I bring your attention to Psalms 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and the world 
and those who dwell there within. Here's what God's saying. I own everything. Ain't nothing in this world that you own. That's why when you die, you don't take none of it with you because it wasn't yours in the first place. Every possession that I have, that Lewis has my home, my cars, my vehicles, everything that I have, God has access to all of it. He has access to all of it. I know you don't like that verse. You're thinking to yourself, that's just one verse. That's proof texting. That's not the word of God. Psalms 50 verse 12. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. Here's what God's saying. If I were hungry, I wouldn't even tell you if I needed something from you. I would just take it because it's mine. Could you imagine having to ask permission to go into your own fridge? And God's like, I, I, I don't got to ask you for anything. And you're saying to yourself, just two verses, Pastor, in 66 books? No, I have another one. Deuteronomy 10, 14. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens. All of y'all buying that naming a star thing? God owns them all. He says, the earth and all that is in it, it's mine. He owns all of it. And somebody's saying, well, that's all Old Testament. 1 Corinthians 10, 26, Paul, the great apostle, quotes the Old Testament. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. You should grasp this idea now that God is pretty serious about everything in this world is his and that what he gives us in our possession, whether you think you've worked for it or not, he puts it in your possession for you to store it. Because even the very strength in your body is given to you by God. Your intellect that you use on your job is given to you by God. The opportunities you've been afforded have been given to you by God. So we don't own it. Now, some of you are ready to tune me out for three weeks, not even come for the next two, and you're wondering, is this sermon for you? If you don't have in the bank at least three to six months' expenses, I'm telling you, this is for you. Because we're in the midst of a, of a major financial crisis in our nation, and my question to you is, are you prepared? If you're tired of living paycheck to paycheck, this is for you. Every husband, every dad, every head of household, every single mother, you should listen today with intent ears to understand that there's a better way than what you're doing. And as Christmas looms, as little Johnny was talking about, and Christmas is coming, many of you will rack up credit card debt and you will get yourself into a deeper hole this year based on what you think you deserve. And I want to challenge you to exercise godly wisdom in your resources. Just the next few minutes, I want to talk to you on this title I've been called Discovering Stewardship, how to discover stewardship in your life. And I'm in Genesis chapter 39, verse 1, and listen to this story. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer in Pharaoh, of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph. Let's say that together. The Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time, from the time that he made him overseer in his house and all that he had... The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all, somebody say all, all. that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. 
Now, in this story, we come upon this young man who is approximately 17 years old, whose name is Joseph. Joseph, you might think you know his story, but hear me out for the next few moments as I tell you uh, the truth about who Joseph in the Bible really is. Joseph is the 11th son of his father, Jacob, and Joseph is the actual first son of Jacob's favorite wife. And so Joseph is daddy's favorite little boy. And Jacob, Joseph's dad, who is the son of Isaac, son of Abraham, as you can see the lineage there, Jacob makes no like problem. He has no issue with being extremely favorable to this young boy, Joseph. And Joseph is really kind of like not the best kid. I just want to break that down for you for a moment here. Many of us, we look at Joseph, as I've been reading more academic things about Joseph and, and a lot of commentaries and scholars, many, many scholars now believe that the original uh, translators of the Bible who interpreted it from Hebrew and Aramaic to English were way too nice to Joseph. And I want to explain why. Look at Genesis 37.2. It says real simply, the Bible says that Joseph brought a bad report about his brothers. Joseph brings a bad report. So number one, Joseph is daddy's favorite. Yuck. Number two, Joseph is a tattletale snitch who talks junk about his brothers. And here's how we know this. Because the words brought a bad report in the original language, every other place they're used, it's pretty bad stuff. It's like hostile whisperings and, and just like really bad stuff. The equivalent in Numbers 13.32 is when Moses sends the spies into the land and they come back with a bad report as to why they can't take the promised land. Joseph brings a bad report about his brothers. And then Joseph, you might know the story, he gets the cool coat of many colors. We all talk about Joseph and his coat of many colors. And here he walk around with his fancy, you know, Louis Vuitton coat. And he's just sitting there chilling. And he got this special coat. And he's given a bad report. And then after the special coat, now Joseph, the favorite, who got the special coat and the bad report, now he starts having dreams. He's having all these dreams. And he starts telling his brothers, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rule you guys. I think you're going to be bowing down to me. And you may think to yourself, man, Joseph was anointed and called by God and calamity came upon him. No. Not exactly. Listen to Job 33, 14. In this verse, Elihu, the friend of Job, tells us why God speaks to us in dreams. For God speaks in one way and in two, though man does not perceive it, a.k.a. God tries to talk to you while you're awake, but you're too spiritually dull to hear him. Verse 15, in a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on men while they slumber on their beds, then he opens the ears of men and terrifies them with warnings that he may turn man aside from his deed and conceal pride from a man. It's very possible that when God's giving Joseph these dreams, they're warnings. Joseph, you need to act different because I'm calling you to leave. But Joseph in his, Joseph, here's just newsflash, Joseph is a jerk. He is a spoiled brat who walks around with the favor of daddy, his special coat, and telling people you're going to bow to me. This is how bad it is. It's so bad that his brother's only response, Quan, is we should kill him. How annoying do you have to be to get nine of your ten brothers in agreement, we're going to kill him. How bad is it got? How much of a jerk do you got to be to your family? 
for them to be like, he wasn't even next in line for it for nothing. He was one of the youngest, but they just hated him. And they ended up not killing him, and they sell him into slavery. And we often look at that part of the story. We say, man, Joseph had a bad hand. And I say to you, what happened to Joseph was horrible, but Joseph bought half of it. He was not a good person. He was not the nicest young boy. And God had a lot of work to do with Joseph because Joseph was filled with Joseph. Joseph had his own ideology about who he was and what he was going to do with his life. Let's be clear again. What happened to Joseph is horrible. It was not good behavior from his brothers, but you cannot overlook how unbearable Joseph must have been to push them to this extreme. Stewardship is much like that. Listen to me. I'm on a hard segue here. Oftentimes, you might find yourself in a financial mess, and you may think it's not all your fault, but most of the times we find ourselves in some financial mess, we can look back and say, we made some issues and some mistakes in the past. I wish I had a witness there. My father used to say to me when I was in church, if you can't say amen, you can say ouch. (laughs) Because you might be like, well, I lost my job. Well, why'd you lose your job? Oh, because the boss didn't understand me. Are you sure? Well, I was five minutes late for the last year straight, but it was only five minutes and it was a seven-minute grace period. According to who? Right? That's like people who wait to the tenth to pay their rent because it's a grace period, but the contract says the first. Y'all don't want to hear that. Okay, amen. (laughs) Hit way too home for that one. Y'all are like, ouch, 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 ouch. But then when financial ruin comes on us, we want to act as if it's the fault of everything else but not ours. We get real deep, Brittany. God must be testing me. I'm about to enter into a new season, so God's just, it's okay that I lost my job. No, it's not. You got bills. God, God wants to do something. And I want to tell you that unemployment is not God's plan for your life. The first thing God gave Adam was a job. Y'all don't want to hear that? Okay, praise God. Y'all might not come back next week. That's all right. It wasn't losing your job that was the issue. It was that you never saved money when you had your job. And your response will be, well, I never made enough to save. And I would say to you, you never wrote a budget to know what you actually made. Luke 14, 28, Jesus says, why would you build something without first counting the cost? Have you counted the cost of your life? You purchase stuff you don't need. You eat out when you really can't afford to. You load up credit cards and and just to have a lifestyle that you want to have and look like you're doing something, that you're crushing it and you're killing it, but you're bogged down with credit card debt. And then when when the termination comes, now everything comes crashing down on you because you are living way beyond your means and you're sitting there buying $7 lattes and your breath smells like, you know, a latte, but you ain't got a latte money. I wish I had a witness there. Some of you think, well, I don't have that many bills. I don't have that much responsibility. I'm going to just do for myself right now. But in this season of all you single people, in the season of singleness, you should be in preparation mode. You should be in preparation mode, building yourself a rhythm of a life that you know what to do with resources. That's not stewardship squandering what you got. That's not stewardship because you got your nails done, ladies, but you ain't got enough money to pay your electric bill. You can't even see your nails in the dark. (laughs) Yeah, that's wisdom right there. Many of us make more than we need to meet our needs, but we spend more than we make. Yep. It's the curse of just swiping your card, especially when it's payday. You just start swiping. And then before you know it, you're $100 short. Do that five weeks in a row. 
And that's the snowball effect. You know what I'm talking about. I've encountered too many people, some of you here today. You get real serious for a season about your resources, but once you think you're out of the storm, you pull back. In the end, we are often the root of our own financial issues. It ain't the job, it ain't the money, it's the management. It's the management of your life. In the end, right, the situations that come to our lives, we build them for ourselves, much like Joseph. Joseph was dealt a bad hand because his brothers, right, did what they did to him. But Joseph, he, he had a, a, a level of involvement in what was happening. You, you can't sit there, try, try that in the hood. Go in the hood and start talking junk to people. Go to the terrace or PT and see what happens. I don't know what happened. They just beat me down. Well, what'd you say? Well, I said this. Well, why'd you say that? Because I just felt like I could. Because God's with me. That's not how that works. You know what I'm talking about? Joseph brought some of this. He comes to this place where now he finds himself in slavery in Potiphar's house. And Joseph, to this point in his life, listen to me, he's only dependent on the favor of daddy. All of Joseph's weight in life has been, my daddy loves me. I'm daddy's favorite. And that only works for a season. But in the next season of his life, Joseph is about to walk in the favor of the real father. And it's going to be vastly different, the effects on his life. And as God begins to work on Joseph, and you see later on in Scripture, the Bible says that the Lord had mercy on Joseph. You only need mercy when you're a mess, when you got problems, you got issues. And Joseph had some issues. But the Bible says in verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph, he became a successful man, and he went, he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw the Lord was with him, and the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Two things you should know. Number one, that in the old way of Hebrew writing, they would tell you what happened first as an end result, and then tell you how afterwards. So you see in verse 2, Joseph became a successful man, right? And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. But then it tells you how. Because his master saw the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So the favor of God, it follows Joseph. But Joseph finds in this crisis moment of his life, he begins to find out that he has another gift besides dreaming. He's got another gift besides being prophetic. What's the, what's the gift that he has? He has the gift of stewardship. And I want to tell you something. Every single one of us have access to the gift of stewardship. Here's how I know. If God has placed things in your hands, belongings in your hands, finances in your hands, he's also given you simultaneously the ability to store it properly. If you are not doing that, you're doing it outside of God's will. But oftentimes, how many of you know, it's when you hit rock bottom that you say to yourself, I got to start budgeting. (laughs) All the chuckles are just conviction right there. When you realize the math ain't mathing and you ain't got enough for what you need to cover, you got to pick and choose what to pay. Fathers and the burden of your children start weighing on your shoulders. Mothers, you, you know that. You, you don't know if you're going to feed your kids this day or that day. You don't know what's going to happen. Here's point number one. That stewardship is often discovered in the midst of crisis. So it's okay if you're in a crisis mode right now. I want to tell you, I don't care how deep the hole you're in right now, you can store your way out if you put God first and you begin to employ godly principles. And I want to pause for a moment also to let you know that this might be embarrassing for you to admit to yourself that you have financial issues. It might be tough to talk about as men or as leaders of our household. It might be downright shameful for you, but I want to tell you that there's hope in the word of God for our stewardship. 
Because crisis has a way of making you make the right choice a lot of times. And I say a lot of times because I've met a lot of people who are still making bad choices in the midst of a serious crisis. I've sat with people and they said, well, I only had $500 for my rent and it was $1,300, so I just spent the five. You should have seen my face. I was so confused. I was like, so wait, because you didn't have enough? You just spent everything you did have? Would you spend that? I went to get my hair done. I went to, I'm like, what? You're going to be homeless with your hair done. <laughs> what, what are you doing? So I, I don't want to sit there and say that every bad situation gets you to feel like you're going to make the right choice. Because sometimes we still make bad choices. Yeah. But Joseph found something out. He was really good at managing things. He was really good at storing, but it was the mess that he was in, which was partially his fault, that helps him discover this kingdom principle of stewardship, how to manage the affairs of someone else. And when you have no other avenue, and I've been there, you ain't got no other choice but to, to really get to that place where bills are piling up and you're going check to check and you're realizing things aren't working, that you have to get a system and a plan in place for your resources and for your finances. I've often learned with many people that true stewardship only comes when they get so low they never want to get there again. And I hope that you don't have to enter a place of total rock bottom, but that you take wisdom. Because when I was your age, many of you young people, nobody told me this. This was not covered in my premarital counseling. It was not covered how to work a budget for my household. It was not taught to me how to do things for the betterment of my children that were to come. In about a year and a half in marriage, we weren't like doing bad, but things just weren't adding up. And I was like, Lord, there has to be a better way. And I did everything that I could to learn about God's principles for resources. Here's what I love, that in the toughest place of his life, Joseph actually discovered God's greatest grace for him. We'll see later on in Joseph's story, he wasn't just a prophetic dreamer. He was really a master steward. That's what God's plan was for his life. That's what God's desire was. And you may not realize who you are in God until you hit a real good crisis. You may not realize how much potential you have as a manager of your resources until you go ahead and experience a crisis in your life. Well, pastor, why crisis? Because in the midst of crisis, you realize that all the comforts of this world cannot console you. And that in the end, you don't want to be in that place again. And so you manage your life differently because of the crisis. And my hope in my heart is that you don't wait till you hit rock bottom like Joseph did. But here Joseph is, and God is with him, and everything he touches succeeds. Andy, that would be so dope if everything you touch just works. Right? That everything that you're touching, it just succeeds. But here's the ingredient to that. How many of you want that in your life, right? I, I would hope that all of you want that everything you put your hands to succeeds. But here's the simple ingredient there, that God was with Joseph. God was with Joseph so much that others saw that God was with Joseph. Potiphar saw that the Lord was with Joseph. A heathen saw, a heathen unbeliever saw and recognized the presence of God on Joseph. It manifested not in conversation with Joseph. God didn't appear to him. No, it, it, it happened through presence. We often think about I want the presence of God to hit the room. Lord, let your tangible presence hit the room. And you think the presence is just everybody falling out and getting the shimmies. In the Old Testament, Jew, the presence was he became a better manager of his money. So what if the presence coming upon your life is you getting wiser with your resources? 
What if the presence coming out? We can't, we can't just go for the overly Pentecostal emotional spiritual stuff and not go for the holistic approach to, to our lives and say, you know what? I, I want to be able to experience the presence and I want God to punch me across the room, but I also want to have a balanced budget. I wish I had a witness there. I want to experience the power, but I don't want to do it in poverty. I want to do it in partnership with God. Here's point number two, that stewardship is partnership with God in all of our resources. You have to understand this, that everything you have, if you're willing to partner with God in it, that God will begin to work the process in your life of getting you from point A to point B. First, I have to realize I don't own it, and secondly, that God wants to partner with me in it. Stewardship is partnership with God. It's you plus God. And so many of us love to talk about how God is with us. And, and oh my God, God talks to me. And I love hearing the voice of God. And God does this with me. And God does that with me. But he, does he ever sit down and do a budget with you? That's a serious question, y'all. Does he ever convict you when you're in line at store and you don't need half of what you're buying? Mm, y'all don't want that conversation with God. Yeah, that's partnership with God. That's partnership. But you're, you're sitting there, you're, and now the, the evil of today is the Amazon. You don't even got to leave your house. Just click away. Some of you just window shop on your phone all day. Just, I, went to, I went to some, I won't say who. I, I didn't know this was a thing. Some of you have like 500 plus things saved in your Amazon cart for the future. I didn't realize that was a thing for people. Like, what, how, how could you even sort through that? All oh, a lot of conviction over here. Wow. But, but when you're doing things you know you shouldn't do, is the, is the Lord allowed to talk to you then? Because he sure can talk to you when someone doesn't treat you right. And he can sure talk to you when you feel like you got a prophetic word for somebody else. But what if God's prophetic word for your life in this season is financial management? What if it's you don't have to buy everything your kid wants on their list because you still have bills after Christmas? What if it's you don't have to sit there and sell away your future through credit cards by, by, by leveraging your future salary and you don't even know what's going to come in? You don't know what's coming our way. We're in a financial crisis as a country. See, Joseph's success was due to one thing, partnership with God. You might not think of money like that. That it's a partnership, but I'm telling you, it's a partnership with God. His success was that God's presence was with them, and he partnered with the Lord. If I want to steward my house, I have to partner with God. And here's the partnership, servant and master. God being the master, us being the servant. God owns, I manage, right? God owns all, but he has put things in my house and my family for me to manage. He's given me children to govern, to lead, to guide. He's given me a wife to be able to take care of and to lead her and to listen when I need to, very rarely. <laughs> just kidding. My wife is a woman of great wisdom, but I usually catch the wisdom a year later. It's weird. Husbands, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's weird. <laughs> you may say to yourself, well, how do I do that? You gotta start small. Number one, you gotta put God first. Number one, put God first. But secondly, live below your means. Start by living below your means. Absolutely, no matter what, don't spend more than you have. Begin to sit down, write it on paper, write out your budget. What is due what day? Every single week, you know when the check comes in, you know what to pay because you have it down by the date. 
I got a number of sermons that you can do that uh, all over um, our YouTube channel. Tons of, of sermons over the years we preached on resources. But, but how about this? How about you make mature decisions? How about you make decisions as an adult, right? And stop lying to yourself and thinking that you deserve that. Do you really deserve that? Do you really need that new shirt? You haven't even hung up the rest of your clothes. I've been guilty of that sometimes. Some of y'all buy clothes because you don't want to look for the clothes you already like. I can't even find that orange shirt I had. I'm going to buy a new one. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. And then the more pieces you buy, the more matching you got to do. The devil is a liar. But how about we make mature decisions? Commit to not making credit card debt in your life. Commit to paying down debt. And then big ones here, get accountability in your life. Get a budget buddy. Get, start a group chat with some friends. I need accountability because Joseph's accountability was the presence, but you might need more than that. You might need more than that, and that's all right. You need accountability. Make a decision today that you're going to recognize God as owner and you as the manager of it and begin to store it properly. You know how much easier it is to be generous when you realize it's not yours anyway? You know how easy it is, right, to pay bills when you realize it's God's finances anyways? I want to challenge you to make the right decisions. And if, you, if you're sitting here like, I got it all together. I'm doing all those things, Pastor. Well, then find somebody to mentor. And not out of pride, but out of humility. And say, I want to help come alongside whoever needs it. I'm here. Right? Stewardship is partnership with God in our resources. So Joseph, he's experiencing this very thing as I close with this thought, right? You might be thinking to yourself, well, why should I listen? And why should I employ the things you're talking about, Pastor? Why should I listen? So many believers want the overflow in their life, but overflow comes to good stewards. I want to say that again. Overflow comes to good stewards. And here's what good stewardship is, right? It's building your life and your resources with faith, not with fear. We're not building a storehouse because we're afraid. We're building a storehouse because we're faithful. That's different. When you do it out of fear, you're afraid to lose it. When you do it out of faith, you could lose it all tomorrow and your life is not affected because God is your source. Are you with me today? Yes. Are you building out of faith or out of fear? That's really big right there. People who are financially successful in the kingdom, they honor the Lord with their wealth, with their resources. What happens if you were to be a good steward? Well, I'm going to read these verses in verse 4 on down to 6 again. So Joseph found favor in his sight, talking about Potiphar, and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in his house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Here's point number three, my last point for you. The reward of good stewardship is more to steward. It's real simple. That when you are doing a great job, God says, I can trust you with more. When I'm doing a great job, God says, I'll give you more. Some of you are asking for more without having proven anything about the last part you had. Stop now. The Lord loves to answer our prayers but he also loves for you to employ principles, right? 
the reward of good stewardship is more to store. That the more that God gives you, the more you are able to carry in your life. Imagine yourself um, at the gym for all the men in the building. Maybe some of you ladies too. Uh, men, we like the bench press. Most of you, I hope you like the bench press. Praise God. When you first start, you can only probably do a certain amount of weight on that bench. If you don't know about that, ask Pastor Lenny. He used to be a bodybuilder. He got pictures to prove it. Pastor Lenny, you could only do so much in the beginning, and you have to have somebody spot you. Right? You should know what I'm talking about here. Now, after a while, you strengthen yourself so that you don't need somebody to spot you for that weight. And that's so much like God, where his presence comes alongside of you when you're making 40000 a year. And then he tests you by stepping aside. New Testament, like a, like a master who goes on a journey, but he comes back later on to give account to what you have. And he says, well, Andy, have you been faithful with that? If you've been faithful with that, I'll put some more weight on this rack. I'll stay here with you. I'll spot you for a season, and then I'll walk away to test you. And then I'll come back two years later. You've been faithful with that, Andy? $100,000 a year job now because you've been faithful. And then I walk away. And the process throughout your whole life is God giving you weight and then presence. And he steps back to see if you still do it in the kingdom principles. And then he comes back and keeps on adding weight. When you store it properly, God rewards with more to store. Here's the key, though. We don't store it to get more. But it is the natural result of storing. To store it to get more is greed. But to store, right, to, for, just to do it to be faithful, that's being in alignment with God. That's different. And the natural thing that God does is he gives you more. Many of us, you're praying and asking God for things that you have not stored your way to. The Bible says this, that Joseph was a successful man. Simultaneously, Joseph owned nothing. Your success is not based on what you own. Your success is based on what you manage, or how you manage, rather, what has been put in your hands. So you might know somebody who's a millionaire, but they have millions of debt too. And here you are, you're a thousandaire. <laughs> but you're debt-free, and God would look at you and say, good steward, bad steward. The world would say, you're unsuccessful, they're successful, but God says, ah, he's storting, he's not. The choice is yours. In this season, especially in this financial climate, and especially with first fruits coming up as you prepare your hearts and your lives in the new year to give your offering, what is it going to look like in your life over the next few months? Are you going to make the mature decisions? Are you going to make that? Now, an adult says, I'll make the right decisions. A child says, and an immature person says, but you don't understand what I deserve, how hard I work. I want to challenge you that until you are at a place of financial freedom, that stewardship is the only way to live your life. And even then, continue to live your life with the principles of the kingdom. Amen? Stand with me this morning. Come on. And maybe you're here today. And you need some prayer for your finances. I want to let you know that I want to pray with you over that. But maybe you're here today in church, first time in a long time. Maybe 
you've never been to church and you're just like, I don't know what these guys are talking about. I want to challenge you. The first thing that you need to store is your heart. That's the first area where you need to take good care of is your heart. What's the condition of your heart? And is your eternity today, is it settled where you would go? And do you know if your heart belongs to God? And if you don't, I want to invite you to ask Jesus into your life. I want to invite you to ask Jesus into your life. Would every head be bowed in this place right now? And if that's you, if you need Jesus in your life, you know it. You just know deep down, Pastor Lewis, I'm not in alignment with God. My heart isn't right. My life isn't right. But I want to make it right. If that's you, with no shame in your game, would you lift your hand as high as you can? If you're online, there are people waiting too. Come on, thank you. Come on, as high as you can. As high as you can. Come on, thank you. Thank you. Come on, isn't God good? About five, six hands that I can see with these lights in my face. But come on, you know it. You want to make it right. Now, I want to ask you for a favor. If you've got your hand up, the scripture is really clear. But you've got to take a step of faith. Would you come even push out of your aisle, wherever you're at, and meet me at this altar? Some of our prayer teams are going to come, and they're going to pray with you. Come on. Would you welcome them as they come? Come on. Don't wait for nobody else. You'll be the first one to come. You'll be the first one to come. Yeah, come on. Come on. That's right. We're going to get this right. We're going to store it our hearts today. Come on. Yeah, come on. Just come. And as the altar workers come to pray with them, you can push down this way. Just do me a favor. Push down this way. We have good problems. We need more room. Amen. Isn't God good? We want to be a church who stories our hearts and stories our resources with the kingdom of God. Would you do me a favor all across the sanctuary? Would you just begin to pray for these individuals who are up here as the prayer team begins to work with them one by one? And as the members of the prayer team can come now, please. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.